Mustafa and Ken here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. Alert Medic One response. Welcome, everybody, to the Alert Medic One podcast. We are excited tonight because for the first time, the entire team is here. We have Mustafa, we have Josh, we have Cody, and myself. And just say hi, everybody. Hi. What's up? Hello. We have a lot to talk about tonight. We're really excited. I'll let Moose uh, lead off with where we're going to go. Yeah, we're just excited to have both you guys on the team. Seriously. So much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, stoked yeah. to be here. Thanks for saying yes to a free job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess it's volunteering. No, seriously. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, we've had both of you guys on individually. Josh, you've been on for a few episodes. Cody, you've only been for one, I believe. The, our only explicit one. The first and only explicit label. Yeah. Uh, no, seriously. I think uh, our values align when it comes to EMS and medicine, and I'm excited to work with you guys. Seriously, thank you for joining the team. Um, tonight, we're just going to, you know, get the ball rolling. We're just going to chat a little bit. You know, might turn this into a shock index. Maybe not. We'll see. And then, um, yeah, we have a pulmonary embolism, what's looking like a series uh, that we're going to start working on. Um, so we're very excited about that. We actually, there's actually a new new, uh, new England Journal of Medicine paper that uh, Dr. Bitberg was telling me about today uh, that I'm going to get from him and send it out to you guys. Apparently, it's a really good review article. Uh, so we'll be doing that, just like a general overview of pulmonary embolism for EMS. Um, so definitely excited for that. Cool. All right. Well, Ken, you want to start with your story? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I guess I'll tell my story. All right. So I had a call the other day. Uh, I got dispatched to assist an engine that was standing by waiting for a medic that was coming from quite a distance. And going to the scene, it was for a trouble breathing at a grocery store. And I asked them as I was riding down the road, I'm like, you know, what do you guys need? You know, they're like, oh, we don't need anything but your presence. And I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking this must be like upset family or they just want a supervisor because they have some sort of personal, personnel, whatever issue going on. And I walk up, I park my truck right behind the engine, and the, this guy is sitting in a scooter out in front of the grocery store. I walk up, and they're bagging him, uh, sitting in the scooter. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, well, this doesn't look good. Like, this is, uh, this is not what I was expecting. And they're like, oh, it's, he's sitting at 40%, and he's, he's still awake, but he's not breathing real well. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I walk over there, and I look at him, and... Yeah, legitimately, he's, uh, his pulse ox is reading about 40%. As they're bagging him, he's starting to go up. They eventually got him up to about 70% with a bag valve mask. And he was, I mean, he was working hard. Um, so I just pop a listen to his lungs real quick, and he's pretty much quiet. He's got some slight wheezing, uh, but he's really not moving anything. So in the scooter to set the scene, he's got a, a portable oxygen generator and he's got an albuterol inhaler. So in my mind, I'm going down the, you know, the COPD route and I'm like, okay, so this guy's, you know, COPD exacerbation, he's a respiratory extremist, like he's not doing real hot right now. Um, 
So I, I go back to my truck. I grab my monitor. I grab my CPAP. And we start doing inline nebs and uh, put them on the CPAP and all that good stuff. Get him hooked up to the monitor. He's an AFib. Pressure isn't terrible. He's got no peripheral edema. He's not coughing at all. He's got no JVD. Um, he's, I mean, in, in my mind, I'm thinking this is pretty straightforward COPD exacerbation. So we're going, going through the motions. Um, go for a line. The first line attempt blows, and he starts like bleeding like a stuck pig. I'm like, dude's on blood thinners. He's an AFib. Like, I'm a little nervous about giving Epi because cardiac history, he's in his 80s or 70s or 80s, we think, like, based on how he looks. Um, so we give him, we get a line, Decadron, Mag, um, Consult. Uh, the hospital's like, yeah, don't give him Epi, so we don't. Um, and take him to the hospital. And we get there, and it takes a little bit to get a room because it's, crazy busy in every hospital right now and his mental status starts to deteriorate we get a room and they tube him so i'm thinking we did what we could not a lot else so before i, I got the hospital discourse too so before i get into that what are your guys thoughts on that basic scenario so first question you said he was an afib yes so what's his rate Good question. About 90 to 100. He's okay. not RVR. So he's not RVR. So he's and not his, his 12 lead was clean, too. Yeah, so his AFib isn't exacerbating a respiratory condition or making it worse. Lower lung sounds? So initially, he had some slight wheezing. On reassessment, he was basically absent bilaterally. And, and you he had a quiet chest. CPAP with inline nibs? Yes. And you, did you do, like, the continuous albuterol? Yes, yeah. He, he was on albuterol the and whole time. And he didn't time. open up after that? Mm-mm. He actually got, he actually, his lung sound sounded worse. His SATs came up, but he, he did not improve. Wait, so what was the progression from uh, sounds to no sounds? The progression was from very, almost absent with very mild wheezing at the top mm -hmm. to diminished, completely, basically absent bilaterally. Interesting. Wow. His SATs came up from... They were bagging him. He was around 70 on CPAP. He came up to 96. Um, he has up to Ritalin? No. Okay. No. Yeah, I was just about uh, to ask that. His end, his end title is hanging about 60 with a shark fin waveform. Did you consider MAG? Yeah, he got really? MAG. Yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Well, he did everything he could do. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So. Only other thing would have been epi for bronchodilation. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. If that was the problem. Yeah, especially if the hospital told you no. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, and his, re his respiratory effort was there. He just wasn't, uh, he just wasn't, like he didn't hear like lung sounds, right? Mm -mm. And he had that, he had that barrel like emphysema chest. And he had a rate of a 90 to 100 with that much respiratory stress. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised. So I wonder if he was on something to slow that rate down. Yeah. At home. Beta so that was. Blockers or something. Wasn't febrile? Not that he didn't feel warm. I don't have a thermometer, yeah. which I shouldn't admit publicly. But man, if I've done everything I could for, I don't have a functional that... thermometer. Yeah, yeah. Say that again. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cody. You I, no, I was saying if I've done everything that I could have done for to improve SpO two, then and it's not getting better. I start thinking about a perfusion problem. 
Like yeah. what's what's keeping him from perfusing out to his finger? What is uh this is gonna sound crazy, but pleth wave on it was it was it was uh there. It was corresponding with the pulse. Okay. So yeah. then we're getting good pulse ox. Yeah. We're getting good perfusion to that point. Uh This might be one of those ones that you chalk up as, I don't know, but I did everything I could and got it to the hospital. So there was another piece of this puzzle that I did not see. See, okay. I knew it. Uh, there where, something. Where, where, where is something. So after he got tubed, he got a chest x-ray. Massive right-sided pneumothorax. Yeah. Without, uh, or he got a chest tube after he, now he still had the uh, COPD exacerbation, but... Did we make that worse with the CPAP and the bagging? But what else are you going to do? Did you have, um, like, what were his pressures? They're they're like 180 over 100. Yeah. So So a spontaneous, simple pneumo. Yeah. Yeah. Which happens all the time. It wasn't a tension. Yeah. 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 But that could go in part to explain why he wasn't getting better because he was only operating with one lung. Yeah. (laughs) But it was... Like, what the story really comes down to me is how cool EMS can be, because we're literally sitting in front of the giant, dumping mag into this guy, like, doing CPAP, like, all this stuff, waiting for a medic unit. Like, there's some guy walking around behind us on the cell phone, and I could overhear him a little bit, and he he was saying something, well, they seem to know what they're doing, so I'm not going to say anything. And I'm like, is this guy a doctor? Because, like, if he wants to help us, he can, but... If he's going to be in the way, I'm glad he's not saying anything. <laughs> Jeez. So, one final follow-up. Was there any uh, drastic changes with uh, his blood pressure? With narrowing, widening? No. Um, his his blood pressure increased throughout the call, but the systolic and diastolic moved together. It wasn't, like, okay. widening. Just, you know, thinking about mediastinal shift with massive pneumo and, you know, pressure mm-hmm. on the heart and... You know, kind of acting like a tamponade a little bit, but yeah, it was interesting. Could could be good yeah. guess. So yeah, good one. You know what I think? What do you think? I think that I'm so far removed from the field that like I'm quickly losing my like <laughs> clinical prowl. Oh no, man! Don't say that, Moose. No, no, no. I mean, I no, you like. It, uh, Josh is absolutely right. I didn't even think of that shit. No. Well, there's the explicit. Well, <laughs> but yeah. Wasn't Cody this time, but well, no, no. That's it's a, only one. That could be uh, easily edited that out. Could be PG thirteen, right? right? You get one in PG thirteen. Yeah. No, that's 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 a good call, man. Yeah, especially yeah. you know, for you. I felt uh, like a real paramedic. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're sitting in a supervisor role right now that you don't get to do that a whole lot, and it, it kind of reminds you of the things that made made you really enjoy this job. Yeah. And, you know, bring you back to, oh, yeah, that's right. I am still a paramedic. I still get to do these cool things. I still have this great knowledge base to work off of, mm. regardless of being in a supervisor role. You know, it's still there, and you still get to well, that's have fun a, with it. That's part of the thing about working in a supervisor role when you get hit for a call. You don't know if either. It's one of two things. Well, it's always – well, it's not always shit's hitting the fan. But it's one of two things. It's either shit's hitting the fan because this person's, like, crashing – and they need an extra set of hands, or it should sit in the fan because we just dropped grandma down the stairs, and mm. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that particular yeah. situation. Um, actually, I had another one, um, as long as we're talking, not to monopolize the conversation, but uh, I had a, a psych patient uh, the other day that ended up kicking me in the face, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but 
I gave to repair it all for the first time. Oh. And I was not impressed at all. And when I talked to the doctor at the hospital we transported to, they're like, you only gave 2.5? I'm like, yeah, that's my protocol. They're like, our loading dose is 5 to 10. I'm like, well, maybe that's why I didn't do anything. What's the what's the protocol dose? So it's a 2.5 of Japeridol. You can still mix it with a 5 of Versed. That's what I did. I had a patient the old five and two. not long ago that was uh same way. I uh, gave 5 and 2.5. Yeah. Um he eventually calmed down, but not yeah, she, not not in the uh, time frame that I think we would uh, expect or are now accustomed to having used uh, ketamine. I'm definitely going back to Versed whenever it's indicated. I mean, not that it. I could have probably get gotten away with giving it in this case, um, but I never used repair at all, and it was indicated, so I figured I'd try it. Mm-hmm. Um, I regret that decision because it took so long to kick in. Like we were waiting in the hospital and uh, it finally kicked in. But then when we went to move the patient, she woke back up. You should put in a protocol amendment. I might. You should. I will. It's actually really easy to do. Okay. You just put in the paperwork. Okay. Well, you got to get the doctor to sign off on it. I know one. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Shout out from the microphone to the medical director of the podcast. Uh well, shout shout out to my medical director or who we're trying to get on the podcast. Yeah, yeah who could just never mind. I won't say that on the record. <laughs> Multiple invitations have been sent. We're just waiting on a response. So, Cody, you you had one, a story too. I had a strange one for sure. Uh, <clears throat> I was trying a strange to, one once. I was trying to pull up some notes from it, um, but it was a it was an IFT. Uh, headed back to university. Interfacility transfer, my favorite yeah. type of EMS. Right, like you go, you get into, you go to be a flight paramedic, and you're like, all right, man, here we go, sexy time. No, it's it's interfacility stuff, but it's actually really cool because you get to see, um, you get to see patients that are kind of like beyond the facility that they're in, and maybe like some resuscitation done maybe not a lot done and i mean it's not a dig at anybody but it's it's they hey flight's coming so just hold what you got so you walk into this situation and like we did we walk in and we hear well we just gave him a milligram of atropine and i went well this is not the stimmy slash gi bleed i thought i was coming to get (laughs) here we go and uh so we you know you walk in and you see this uh he's an he's an older gentleman not a not a very large guy the rate's 40 on the monitor. The blood pressure is like 80, 40 over 40. You know, not looking, things aren't looking great. SpO2 is at 100%, oddly enough. It's at 100% and he's on room air. Well, he's fine then. If the pulse ox is fine, he's fine. Yep. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so my, my partner, she goes out, she takes report. And I'm in there and they're like, well, we gave him a milligram of atropine. And I'm watching his heart rate drop down into the 30s now. And I'm like, well, we're probably going to start pacing at this point. And thank gosh, you know, it was, you know, monitors were compatible. So we just plug and play and start dialing up the milliamps. And we do just like we teach them in school, right? So you start at 80 and 80 and start walking it up. And I'm at 90, nothing. Got my hand on the guy. Got another hand on his neck over there and nothing. We go up to 95, 95, 100, 100. I'm like, okay, this is a lot now. We should have gotten captured by now. So I'm like, let's stop. Let's look at placement. Let's make sure everything's right. We got AP placement on this guy. So it's not awful, you know, but we've got good placement. Pads are still in place. Everything's still working. Um, and 
before you know it, now the dock's at bedside, and I'm like, we got to keep going up till we get capture. Uh, the monitor's not indicating capture. I don't feel capture. I mean, it's irregular, too, really irregular. It was a, uh, it was a junctional bradycardia that we saw. And next thing you know, we're at 140. I'm like, oh, I think I got something. And I feel it. My partner feels it. We're looking at it. Everything corresponds and correlates. And I'm going, what in the deuce is going on here? At the same time, we got an epidrip mixed up and, and hung up uh, as well because we're not getting captured. So I'm like, let's get some, let's get some pharmacy stuff on board and see what, see what turns around for him. Um, things did not get a whole lot better there at first. His, his mental status wasn't fantastic, and it didn't turn around once we got his rate up to where we, you know, we thought we wanted it to be. Um, let's see what else there. I'll go ahead and shoot a 12 lead while I'm there because she said this is there's an in, there's an inferior pattern and I was going to pull it up here for you guys it was definitely not an inferior pattern who said it was an inferior pattern the doc the uh I believe it was from the sending nurse okay that's the pattern so basically for you guys that can't see it there is ST elevation pretty frank ST elevation all over the 12 lead everywhere I'm like, okay, this isn't, this isn't a 12, this isn't a, uh, excuse me, this isn't a STEMI any, uh, anymore. What what's, is going on? What's his history? Yeah, I was going to say, what are his labs? <clears throat> so his labs actually weren't, weren't awful. Fine. Yeah, his labs were fine. Um, his K is, <laughs> his, his K is okay. I think he was like a four, eight, something like that. Nothing to write home about. Sodium yeah. was fine, like 145. Um, you know, nothing stuck out on his labs. What was his history? Uh, his history was um, it's pretty significant cancer history. Mm-hmm. He had some some pancreatic cancer in there. Whipple procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, he came in. They found him passed out in his car. Sure. EMS found him passed out in the car. Brought him in. He's uh, you know they work him up and it's you know it's positive for a for a GI bleed. They found some colitis and GI bleed stuff to go along with all of this and. Incidentally, they pull his they pull his labs and it's a troponin of forty nine, with that twelve lead. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I mean, <laughs> none of this makes sense. Yeah, right? it looks looks like a global MI mm-hmm. from here. Yeah. So my first thought was, okay, if this isn't an MI, what else could it be? Right? Okay, did he dissect all the way down his coronary arteries? And is that causing that? Plus the bradycardia. I mean, like that's the only thing that would make sense because for whatever reason, his electrical conduction system is not getting flow you put go ahead little shout out to bob page uh did you do a 15 lead no (laughs) or did they no that we did not we should have but we did not um we basically scooped we got everything you know we got a rhythm we got a perfusing we got capture uh he got a little bit of fentanyl because the pain was a little much uh for him to bear once he finally started coming around and uh we were literally kind of jogging a bit out to the aircraft Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a rough path if you've ever been to this facility and i'll keep it i'll keep it off the podcast but a little bit of a rough ride there yeah we get him loaded and lo and behold his vitals swipe uh right the other right screen right hit that hit that monitor picture there and that's what that's what it looks like when we Finally get everything loaded, secured, and I'll take a look at the monitor again. He's got a heart rate of 88, so the pacer is in demand mode at this point. 
Mm-hmm. Saying, all right, we don't need this anymore. Got a blood pressure of what, 108 over 64, SPO2 yeah. 100%. And he's pretty calm, cool, and collected. Uh, the Epi's going at, uh, I forget what we had set it at, like maybe 0.15. Uh, Mike's, uh, Mike's a minute, Mike's per kilo per minute. I forget which one she, she had set it up at now. And we're heading to the hospital. He stays just like that the entire time. Hmm. Actually, vitals improve. I think he, we drop him at like a 120 over 70 is where we drop him off. So we took took him straight to the cath lab. And the entire time, we're sitting here going back and forth, kind of like where you were like, what what else could this be? Because yeah. this doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. None of this makes sense at all. And I'm going, this is driving me insane. I'm like, he's got some dissection or something. Yeah. That that's that, That's my... It's my gut talking to me, right? Calf lab drop off. We're done with this. We go home. Uh, we get some follow-up, and the individual actually had, uh, here's the kicker. Here's the piece of the puzzle that we didn't know until it, we're on our way out the door. He's COVID positive. I'm like, well, that would have been nice to know. Mask on the face and everything would have been great before we came in here and started doing all this. COVID myocarditis. Yeah, I was like, okay. damn. Yeah. COVID myocarditis plus... A plethora. He has no no valve disease, or um, I'm sorry, vessel disease whatsoever. His <laughs> vessels are all clean. He PEA rests at the end of the calf, gets ROSC, intubated, whole nine yards on pretty pretty gnarly vasos, pressure support. Um, he had a whole slew of other things, and I'm trying to bring it up, and I can't uh, I can't get it. Do you need those to come up? Mm, no. Um, you want the Wi-Fi? Stand by. I've got it. After Cody's done his story, can we talk about fentanyl a little bit? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a severe acidosis, and um, some. Of course, he had the cancer history to go along with it. Wait, so he developed acidosis at some point? What was his? What were his labs on? That I don't have. Oh, really? Yeah, that I don't have. Well, wait, where was the acidosis post-arrest? It was post-drop-off Okay. when we saw it. So it's like, what's causing super-wide? Yeah. Super-wide complexes, junctional bradycardia plus profound ST elevation. Matu has a really good video on this. I just don't remember what the... Oh, man, there's. I feel like he's got a mnemonic for what causes really wide but not really fast. Yeah cirrhosis liver disease and uh, his ef was 20 when he left the cath lab wow (laughs) so it's like it's a cardiogenic shock from what which for people that don't know ef is ejection fraction normal is what 55 to 75 Mm -hmm. right percent yeah and well maybe cody can explain what an ejection fraction means it's the um it's basically the percentage of blood that comes out of your left ventricle per per contraction you don't completely empty your left ventricle um, every time you have a contraction. And yeah. so EF would be the percentage of blood that leaves the left ventricle. And just to be clear, when you said, when uh, Cody said that there was no vessel disease, that means that there was no blockages. Correct? Correct. And correct me if I'm wrong, poor EF or like, where we are concerned is anything below 30? 35? Um, yeah, 30, 40. Yeah. Less than 40, I mean, you're definitely having a bad day. And then below 30, you're, I mean, they're, they're thinking about support. Yeah. Maybe even mechanical support. How do you treat myocarditis? So that you're, they get antibiotics and, and all that but stuff in the COVID, hospital. But if it's COVID, it's viral, virally yeah, mediated. Pre-hospital, you support. Steroids? 
uh, excuse me, not, not pre-hospital, but their course of care is going to, whatever they need to support their hemodynamics, so inotropy, mm-hmm. uh, some vasopressor support, uh, keeping them you know, oxygenating and ventilating appropriately because what you don't want is you don't want an acidemia to complicate mm-hmm. the cardiac activity. Yeah. Or or causing any more electrical <laughs> abnormalities and issues. Interesting. Yeah. Not a you just walk, one of those you walk away or just scratching your head going, What in the F just happened? Yeah. What did we do? Yeah. And then you feel like a dummy when you get the follow up like, Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've had, I've had quite a few of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I but, thought something was a COPD exacerbation. It ended up being an N-semi. I felt like the biggest idiot ever. <laughs> but I think it's, when I was listening to Ken's case and then listening to this one, I think there's the common thread is develop a pretty good, a good list of differentials. Like, um, you know, this is what it probably is. And this is something interesting to go looking for Yeah, based on your... Uh, Chismar does a really good lecture. He said, uh, was it... Um, well, I forget what the title is, but basically he talks about like zebras. Yeah. You know, the saying when you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras, but like yeah. he talks about the zebras. Well, even more so, like slow down long mm-hmm. enough to hear the hoof beats. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't just mm-hmm. run down that, run down this trail. And it's and interesting that our protocols it. are pretty, like they're, they perpetuate anchoring bias. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're not really taught at that like higher level. We're taught at that. Hey, if you see this, it's this. What's well, still? The, it's the technician clinician debate that you guys yeah. had yeah. a couple, yeah. <laughs> a couple yeah. podcasts ago, which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's your it's your level of thinking that you're going to bring to the bedside, and if you're thinking, hey, I've got this hammer in my toolkit, and I really want to use it, mm-hmm. you're going to find a way to use it. Yeah. Yep. You know, I've got albuterol and turbulene and all this stuff in my bag. I'm gonna, and I hear wheezing. Send it. Yeah. Buckle up. Here we go. So do we want to go to vector change or we want to go down fentanyl? Let's go vector change. Okay, vector change. So uh, my agency recently put out a clinical practice guideline uh, that we are going to start doing some vector change with our defib pads during arrest. Uh, and it's going to be after the third refractory episode of VFib or VTAC. We're going to change from our lateral placement, you know, our traditional upper right chest left side, to A and P, you know, back and uh, just sandwich them with the pads. Um, I, I haven't gotten clarification, but it sounds like there's a, a study going on either at the state level or the, a national level about if this is going to be uh, a more common practice now going forward with refractory VFib and VTAC. Um, the discussion of double sequential external defibrillation uh, has been brought back into the picture with this. Uh, and I, th- I believe having heard some people talk about it, that even the manufacturers are figuring out a way to allow us to do 720 joules on a single monitor with two sets of pads. So, oh, interesting. so we'll see. Um, like I said, this, uh, CPG just came out the other day. I haven't been back to work yet. Uh, we talked a little bit about the other day when I was teaching, but, uh, it makes sense. Um, I know, uh, there's a lot of thought that A and P placement for pacing is better than lateral. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could we see some changes in ROSC rates going forward with these refractory episodes? Uh, there's also been some talk of like, Oh, do we just place them to begin with? Do we, uh, how are we going to work this with, you know, using a Lucas device or some other kind of mechanical CPR device? Um, 
some are easier to work with this than not. Um, and uh, there's been the discussion of, oh, well, if we have a VFib arrest, we just do manual CPR until we've hit this point and then figure out from there. Or, you know, go back to, hey, at the two minute, at that two minute break, we're going to take it off. We're going to place the pads and we're going to go right back at it. So what if, can we, what if Lucas had a suction cup that was also a pad? Why are you saying that? Not marketing it. <laughs> but can we just uh, throw out real quick, just for anyone who's unsure, A&P placement, anterior, posterior? Yes. Thank you, Ken. Uh, I was just throwing out an acronym basically there. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's coming into play. And who knows if that's going to change into even our, our pacing placement. Uh, I know right now I pace, you know, your traditional upper left and left side. Uh, it works pretty well, but... Uh, a and P placement has also worked pretty well for pacing as well. Okay, so it's yeah, pretty it, cool. It used to be a pretty hard. Um, so if you use two monitors, the manufacturer would like void the warranty, right? I mean, you could fry one of them. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't know about that. I've but heard anecdote anecdotally of it. Yeah. There's yeah. also the. Uh, so if anyone's wondering, there was a study done on this prior, and I know when I was in paramedic school in 2015, 2016 is when it was being put into place in certain agencies around the nation. And the study basically found that while the ROSC rates were higher, the discharge to uh, neurointact was the same as non-double sequential. So it was found that it wasn't truly beneficial in the way it was being applied, and some of those agencies walked back that protocol. Hmm. Uh, but also, uh, it's uh, physically impossible for one human to push two buttons exactly at the same time. So you weren't truly delivering 720, you were delivering 360 with a half of you know half or millisecond mm -hmm. in between, so was it truly a double sequential mm. external defibrillation? It wasn't the 720. Hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think that was one of the the factors in them thinking back, like, oh, maybe we should research this a little more and how we do this correctly. Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on that. I know uh, I'm not citing any specific studies right now, but you've been quoted. This is on record. <laughs> So. Yeah, I remember there. So University of Maryland has a crashing patient conference, and I can't remember if it was a crashing patient or if it was an emergency cardiology conference. But they had a Dutch physician um, who was talking. I forget her name, but she talked about it um, around that time period. Actually, um, I want to say 2016, 2017. And um, oh man, I forget what I asked her in front of the whole room, but I kind of felt like an idiot after. But um, that's why I remember this whole thing. But she was talking about how like that. Um, what you said about the it's kind of impossible to actually time it appropriately but that's pretty interesting even yeah. if you have two people on two separate monitors and you go three two one you're not going to push exactly on one or time. after one <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like uh it's one of those things where you got to let the monitor figure out when to do it kind of like cardioversion <laughs> yeah oh so. yeah yeah but yeah that was vector change yeah i like it have that's you cool. been dabbling in fentanyl I have um, quite a bit over the years, actually, yeah. and uh, have not really found it to be terribly effective, to, to be quite honest. And talking to many of my colleagues, that's uh, the general consensus. I don't know. Wait, are you being serious? Oh, 100%. Oh, okay. 100%. Oh, interesting. Um, and in fact, I was talking to my wife about it last night, actually. Uh, and, you know, for the listeners, she's an ER nurse. She used to be a PACU nurse as well. 
and uh, they had standing orders for it in the PACU, and basically what they would do is just blow through it as fast as they could so they could get the patient some real pain medicine as it was put. Well, what's real pain medicine? Dilaudid and Tordal, not Tordal, um... What's the other thing she said? I don't remember. But basically, like, for these patients recovering from severe surgeries, the fentanyl wouldn't touch uh, them. Oh, yeah. Um, so they needed Dilaudid or whatever that next level drug was. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and that's been my experience with the uh, fentanyl in the field, too, is that ketamine's more effective. It, so, you know, going off of what Ken said, my, my experience in the field is that um, the pain reduction you know if we're if we're going to ask our patient you know right down the scale of zero to ten ten being the worst pain in your life yada 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 and they say ten and i give them fentanyl they're like the next repeat is oh it's an eight yeah it's, it's not a, it's not a severe reduction um yeah you know, there's you know the people that pontificate including myself at the you know the the dinner table at work um is it because we are underdosing in our protocols um Maybe, but I've also seen other more aggressive agencies still use the same dosing regimen. Um, and maybe is it is it a look at that we're doing uh, IV push ketamine? I mean, sorry, fentanyl. Mm. Should we be looking at ketamine? Or geez, you put the word <laughs> in my head, and I just keep on saying it. Uh, fentanyl drips, you yeah. know, you know, proper fentanyl drips for analgesia, you know, and. Uh, there is some, I, I believe, some uh, literature behind fentanyl drips being a little bit more effective. I know that's okay. more common in, you know, uh, I guess recovery from surgeries and time on floors. Um, but I don't have any experience in that, so I can't say, yeah, that's going to be the thing. Yeah, uh, Ketamine, um, I've only used it once for analgesia. Uh, Ken, I don't know how often you've used it. Just once. The one time I used it was uh, a female patient who had fallen and dislocated her shoulder. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try uh, ketamine with this patient this time. She said her pain was a 20 out of 10. <laughs> and after I gave it, she said it was a 10 out of 10. I don't know if that she figured out what the correct pain scale was or if it had worked. <laughs> so I wasn't totally sure. It's got about the same half-life. As fentanyl uh so we're not looking at you know duration but uh i've heard mixed reviews on ketamine as well uh but most people have said fentanyl just doesn't seem like it does the job i'm just going to interrupt you real quick to say that all three of you need to do your availabilities on the doodle because the doc we just called out has already done it and just told him that yes nice <sighs> okay yeah so y'all got to get on that i'll do it like tonight ASAP. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> nothing, nothing like getting called down on the, by the boss on a podcast, right? Man. I'm just saying. <laughs> thank you. It's because he knows we won't talk back to him on tape. You can. I don't care. Oh, I'll talk back <laughs> to him. I don't care. Back to the regular scheduled programming. So I didn't know that. I've always had success with fentanyl. I have seen a lot of people on the street have a lot of fun with fentanyl, just not in the clinical setting. I, I, think it, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but like, I really think it's a dosing issue. Just yeah. from my personal experience, uh, not that I will tell you why I know that, but I, I think <laughs> I think you're right um, because I know there is another drug that we have in our toolbox that we underdose for. I know for a fact it's underdosed. Draperidol, uh, huh? Draperidol. Well, Draperidol. Uh, that, that, that's the that's debatable, but Tordol. 
Oh, fair In enough. most settings, toward all is 60 IM, 30 IV. We're giving 30 IM, 15 IV mm. in the state. So yeah. You should well, submit protocol changes. I could do that, too. Thank you, uh, local MIMS rep. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> this, is the, this is the feedback people need. I'm just saying. Uh, listen. I'll, okay. I'll probably Granted, I, hold on. I will say I have had great success with Tortal uh, when used properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, they say it's a, it's a very fine scope of using it, you know, kidney stones. I use it for my, uh, abdominal pain patients to some decent effect, um, to, you know, still give them some pain meds, but also not go down the opiate route. Cause also I do understand that fentanyl sometimes doesn't have the effect that we're looking for, but having given toward all both in this setting in civilian EMS and toward all in military medicine, I've seen good effect from it. So. Uh, why don't we have pre-hospital day loaded? Man, you think that's, narcotics control is hard right now. That's oh, the, that's the only drug that works I'm just dropping I need, bombs. I need the one that starts with the D. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's all those patients I'm with not allergies to everything but the loaded. Yeah, so everybody's yeah. allergic to everything but the loaded. So yeah, why not? for our listeners so I don't get in trouble at work. I'm not actually advocating for that. That was a joke. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there there has to be at least one pre-hospital or inter-facility service that uses it. I mean, there's, uses, is there a legitimate a reason that you wouldn't have that? I mean, honestly, if, if let's say you work somewhere where maybe it's one of those jurisdictions where everyone has a medical director who kind of makes up their own deal. Texas. Right. And oh, which is something we got to talk about. One hundo. Uh, um, it's Texas. I didn't get an answer yet, so I can't really oh, talk okay. about it too much. Fair, that's fine. Um, if the medical director there said, hey, I want my medics giving... Um, delauded. Sure. I mean, why? Why not? Well, so my thing is this: genuine question. If we trust our clinicians to be able to provide medication, like sure, and I definitely get the control issues, but that's a system issue that is that like, like yep. you know we we can rectify we can. When I say we, I just mean like the general we, not any actual system or state or anything. I'm just saying. Couldn't we hypothetically regulate what type of control they have sure. to have to mm-hmm. have this protocol? Sure. 100%. Right. Like a traditional, like, two padlock system is not going to work. You have to have, like, a, like a, for, and obviously, why not? Yeah, like, I, I don't know, what, is MedVault the company? Well, or like, Yeah, that, like, something where, they're, where they can have, a, like, a biometric safe yeah. that's wired into yeah. cyberspace. Because um, like that's my program is set up that way. Honest question: um, Do most places not have med vaults or something similar? Oh, box I'm, boxes. I'm about or? to blow your mind on this one. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, we don't use med vaults at all in my agency. Okay. There's not a single med vault. I'm pretty sure not a single med vault in the entire jurisdiction. Not on a medic unit. Not on an ambulance. Not on a chase car. Nothing. We have a. Uh, there. If there's anyone here, it's going to immediately identify what agency is but it's a Don't pelican box oh, okay. with a seal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's it when ours well, so there's no like we do have to log everything obviously it's all right. electronic it's in our emeds it's in a separate job form it's all tracked it's you know on the up and up da's all the numbers are good but we don't use bed vaults so when we're at bedside we're the same way but if it's if they're if we're not at bedside then they're secured two locks yeah, we have, well, yeah. one of the places that I work at, we have vaults, but um, when we're actually treating them, they're just sealed boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and I will say, I'm not saying that it's the wrong way to do it either. Uh, 
listeners don't think that. Um, I think it's actually better to have the non-med vault option uh, because having worked uh, in med vault using agencies, uh, on those calls where I thought I might have to use it, I would have to consciously think, hey, I need to get in the back, unlock the med vault, grab the med I think I might need, or if it's in a tackle box inside there and bring it with me to the scene. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I have the, the agency I work for, every single patient encounter that I have my ALS bag with, I have meds. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, I have both my regular meds and my narcotics readily available, regardless of what we're dispatched for. You know, you can be dispatched for the, the sick person, the one down, the, you know, whatever, and show up and know it's actually a seizure patient and they're actively seizing. Oh, well, I wasn't ready for this. And I'm on the 10th floor of this high rise. Mm. And my first set is 10 floors below because <laughs> I was walking into what I thought was a sick person. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. And I mean, I've had calls like that. Yep. Yep. I love hearing how different places do things. I do too. Um, one one so, service I worked for, we, we carried it in a, we, we all wore the Batman belt job and we had a little, little pack Fanny on it. Pack. Uh, that's not what I was going to say, but yeah, that, I guess that's what you can call it, and that's where we carried our narcs. And there, there is a large the EMS system in a the largest city in America. I'm not going to say who they are, but they do the same thing, yep. and they have to sign for it every between shifts, mm -hmm. and they have a you know a bat belt. It, it, it was so strange to go from a service like that where you carried it on your person by policy and get busted. Get your let let somebody find your narc box sitting around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was it. You were done. To come into a different service where if you're found with narcotic on your person, do not pass go, do not click two hundred dollars. Yeah. See you later. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm I'm doing some research here on the side and you know, we're talking about uh the uh legality or the uh not maybe legality, but the admin side of Dilaudid versus fentanyl and what we're carrying and how does that factor into um, signing for stuff. And, you know, we're talking, you know, ambiguously about the schedule of mm -hmm. these meds. Mm -hmm. Both fentanyl and Dilaudid are scheduled too. Mm -hmm. So they would fall in the same bracket. We're not looking at more. I don't think we're looking at higher levels of, mm -hmm. you know, um, how do we sign for these things. Uh, I think it's more of... Uh, the application outside of the hospital and that that would require some research outside of the podcast to figure out is there someone using it um i i'm not totally sure um i feel as though the other day in my one of my critical care lectures even my professor or, or uh, professor talked about how they don't carry delauded on the aircraft uh, and that's in a critical care role so maybe a, a listener can reach out and say if it is or not used by anyone else. So I'm reading NASEMSO, which is the, oh man, what's the NASEMSO stand for? National Association of State EMS Officials. Is that what it is? NASEMSO, yeah. Model EMS Protocol for Pre-Hospital Pain Management. This was published in May of 2021. And uh, oh yeah, it is officials. One of the medications that uh, is under like the patient management section um, so, uh, number four, establish IV access if there's ongoing pain warranting further treatment and administer one of the following. And hydromorphone is one of those things. Okay. There it is. That is a lot for the uninitiated. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if there's a cost factor. Now, that is a legitimate there question. We go. I wonder yes. if there's a cost factor. You know what also solved this? Never mind. 
if we legalized all drugs. Oh, here we go. And <laughs> didn't have to make it an here illicit market and uh, regulated the potency and efficacy of it. Moose, this isn't Why the should the potency one. and efficacy be uh, regulated? Well, no, Buyer no. beware. No, I'm saying, uh, yeah, right now there's nothing regulated. I know. I'm just saying, there's not a lot of regulation on what we're should, drinking right should now. should be able to buy whatever you want at the uh, local corner store. Uh, I don't know about the corner store, but maybe... Uh, well, for those of you, you that, still get it there. that don't know, you just stumbled into the Alert Medic 1 uh, political podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Briefly. <I'm just> saying, <laughs> I would love to see the public health ramifications of that. Not saying it's the right thing to do. Be interesting. I might be. Might be interesting. <laughs> you guys want to take a break and have some pizza? Oh, yeah. That's sitting upstairs. We okay. Can, we can call this episode. Yeah. What are we calling it? Shock index number nine. Is that the number we're on? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Welcome to the team, guys. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah. This is going to be fun. All right, it cool. Is. All right. See you guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Alert Medic One. Please leave us a like, rating, or review. Check us out on Facebook, and we'll see you next time. Have a good night. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner.